Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech, episode 78, Taking a Bite Out of Apple, recorded December 19th, 2011, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Sean, how are things going for you this week? Pretty good. Well, this is uh, this is like the great time of the year to be working in education. It's Christmas time, and this is our pre-Christmas show. Yes, this is the first show before uh, last show before Christmas. Uh, right, and yeah, you and I are on break. Right, you you had this uh, started today, right off Monday. Right, yeah. Today was uh, the first day off, and you know what's great, and I think it's just the way things fell. But we also not only get the next two weeks off, but we get the following Monday off as well. So we don't actually go back at my district until the third for Martin Luther the King Day. Uh, no, no, it's for New Year's. I guess uh, New Year's Day is actually on that Sunday, and for whatever reason, oh. we're getting the following Monday as well. Interesting. Yeah, <clears throat> which you know, I mean. Who am I to argue? <laughs> <laughs> That's how they so, yeah, roll with those rich uh, schools. Yeah, two two weeks and one day off. Uh, so yeah, I'm loving it. Uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, I've made a comment like this on uh, on the one meal one work, workout show. That, uh, Don was talking about how he's got like four days to take off before by the end of the year he loses them, and I said, well, after you know this week, I'm off for two weeks, and he said, that's why nobody likes you, Mark. <laughs> so people people who don't work in education um you know they don't like us very much when we talk about that but i will i like to point out quickly that we're not paid for these days off uh we uh we work our contract days and these days are not part of them so uh it comes out of our pockets when we have this time off right right yeah we are paid for uh whatever it is 200 and some odd days a year and these don't count as part of those so right. Usually an admin contract is between 226 and 235. Um, so, you know, that's uh, – and the typical line worker, you know, at a, a just man, regular job is, Maintenance. is, is working – oh. uh, you know, just like a, you know, just a regular guy. A regular education, yeah. right? Right, is is working around 250 days a year or so. So uh, that's, that, that's the way it be. Yeah, yeah, that's still it, it, this is this is kind of that time, right? I mean, that still leaves us working a couple a couple fewer weeks a year than the average Joe. Right. So I, I just want to say Merry Christmas. Uh, I know not of all not all of our listeners celebrate Christmas, but uh, uh, that's all right. You have a happy G- uh, December twenty fifth anyway. Okay. Uh, right. The rest of us will celebrate Kwanzaa or Hanukkah or whatever the uh, the seasonal flavor of your choice, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think Hanukkah's nearing the end i'm not sure i'm not jewish right <laughs> I, I love bacon too much to be jewish um but yeah it's uh uh merry christmas happy solstice <laughs> whatever whatever it is uh, and and along those lines uh sean wanted to remind you to get your uh videos from santa if you haven't already yes definitely uh if you've got little ones at, at the very least, uh, make sure you go and, and do this. It, it's really, uh, portable North pole is, is really cool. And when you sit down with your, your young child, at least, you know, the children who still believe in Santa, uh, and watch that video, uh, just watching the amazement in their eyes makes it all worth it. So just want to throw out that, that last minute reminder since this is the show right before Christmas that if you haven't already done so go and uh, spend five minutes and make your portable North pole uh, video for your child. It's worth it. Your kid will enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Do you want to get into this next one, Mark? You you go ahead. You take it. (laughs) So we had our EduBlog award nomination for the Tightwad teacher, and uh, the voting uh, finished up just, uh, gosh, what was it, uh, middle of last week, Wednesday, I think it was. Right. That sounds right. Tuesday Tuesday night. Yeah, right. And Wednesday was the, uh, the, uh, the award show, so to speak, and I didn't. Uh, sit in for the award show but i did the very first thing the next morning uh, i uh, actually before i even got out of bed i thought about it and pulled it up and uh tightwad teacher didn't make it i'm uh, so disappointed were- in our audience the top five people were listed and the number five had 120 votes we couldn't even get 120 votes out of you people i'm disappointed <laughs> right. i really am and i had to i had to probably account for 20 just myself i mean i had two uh, you know you can vote once a day from from an IP. So I voted once from work and once from home. So I had to account for at least 20. Um, so yeah, it was a little disappointing. I thought certainly, you know, maybe not so much with that audience, that audience is still growing. Uh, they have a great show and, and we like the direction that their numbers are going, but, uh, probably couldn't have pulled enough votes just out of their own audience, but certainly from the element op audience overall i would say it should have uh, should have been enough i would think i know we had the entire element op empire and we couldn't get 120 votes that's it's disappointing you people let me down shame on you <laughs> <laughs> right so uh well we're, there's always next year so uh and, and i'm sure by then uh I would guess that, you know, hopefully their audience will be, you know, two or three times the size that it is now. So, uh, you know, uh, but even just having the nomination got their name out there. So it was, it was certainly a good thing regardless. Um, I just wanted to mention something that I did today, uh, <laughs> just because, uh, to let you know that I'm not just a, a full on geek. I like to, to work with my hands a little bit too. And and I have decided I'm going to build myself a new smoker. I've mentioned on on this show before and on other shows how I like to uh, to engage in the time honored tradition of smoking meats, um, ribs and brisket and all that good stuff. And uh, the the smoker I have now, Sean can tell you, is a um, uh, a rinky dink uh, home brew job to say the least. Uh, it's it's made out of two flower pots with a with a hot plate in the bottom of them. Oh, it's amazing though. Yeah, it cranks because out some it good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But well, the, and we've had this conversation several times. I know when we were office together and we would talk about uh, some unique uh, smoker designs. So uh, so are, are you going forward so with one of those? Is I, that it? I spent all day today um, in the shop. Uh, I actually, I went to the, the county seat, which is about 25 miles away to register my, my truck this morning. Um, two weeks late for my state <laughs> registration. Uh, and then I went to the hardware store and bounced around and, and, and Sean, you'd, you'd be proud of me. I, I went uh, all out with this one. I even uh, made scale drawings and Google sketch up with, uh, oh, nice. you know, with the actual materials and, and, and the, the measurements and you could explode the view and, and spin it 360 degrees and look at all the, the fasteners. I did the whole thing. I really went uh, all out with it. Um, and then I, I made a parts list and then I went to the hardware store and bought my stuff and then I made a cut list and, uh, it's been raining off and on here today and I don't have any spot, uh, any covered place to work. So I went over to my brother-in-law's, uh, garage where he's got sort of a shop in there and I could work indoors. And my brother-in-law is one of those guys that likes to take over every project. <laughs> and so I spent all day going, let me work on my own project, man. Stop it. Just because I'm in your garage doesn't mean I want you to do this for me. 
Right. Uh, Go make your own smoker. (laughs) (laughs) But it's an interesting design. I'm making it out of wood. And, um, Oh, you know, nice. Know most people, the classic smoker design is, uh, is point steel, uh, or uh, in some cases, aluminum. But I decided to my, make mine out of wood. I've, I've gone back to some old, um, designs from, uh, like before metal was, was available, the old smokehouse model. And, um, okay. So it's a little bit of a throwback. And plus, I just like, some things that are different, you know. I could I could go get plate steel and weld it and make a smoker that's like everybody else's, or for that matter, I could go to Bass Pro Shop and buy one. In fact, I could buy one for roughly two thirds of what I'm spending to make this one. But that's not the point. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's not about it's not about saving money. It's about doing it with my own hands and building. And um, so I'm making it of plywood lined with sheet metal, lined with uh, 22 gauge steel. So the inside is is steel. Um, okay. So it'll be you know like a commercial oven. Um, that's the same material that to use in there. So I'm really excited to uh, get it all together and uh, maybe get it um, seasoned. You know, got to got to heat it up and cool it down a few times, and try to get all that done in time to uh, smoke the Christmas turkey this year. Nice. So, uh, I just thought I'd mention that some some of you guys out there, if you're interested, I could uh, I might share the plans in my Google SketchUp drawings with you. Google SketchUp, if you've never used it, it's really awesome because I you know I designed it, I drew it all out. And then I clicked on one of the pieces of plywood and right-clicked and said, um, uh, show me the area. And it showed exactly the number of board feet I needed based on my drawings. So then I could just say, all right, that's how much plywood I need. And then I right. went to the sheet metal and uh, it's all it's all right there. It's, it's really a great tool and free. So um, check it out. Maybe that'll be my tech tip this week because I don't have one. So I'll Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Google <laughs> SketchUp. So uh, anyway, just a, a little fun aside. I'll let you know how it goes. Uh, this one is uh, a lot bigger than my little flower pot one. I should be able to do, oh, probably four to six briskets um, or maybe two or three turkeys or pork roast, uh, you know, uh, uh, large things like that. And and with that, probably another uh, eight or nine racks of ribs all at the same time. So Wow. Yeah, that's that was going to be my question was the scale of it. Yeah, um, it's, it's three feet tall. Uh, two feet wide and two feet deep. So, uh, with okay. with three different shelves in it. So, that's two feet by two feet times three. So, uh, uh, twenty four square feet of shelf space. I can put a lot of stuff on it. Yeah, I know we had talked about, uh, of course, sorry. off air, but we had talked about, uh, you know, taking like a a, a throwaway refrigerator and Old using the body. Of- yes, they're awesome for that. Yeah, and uh, I, that's one I still want to do uh, some days. You know, take an old refrigerator and uh, refit it to be a smoker because uh, I mean they're just perfectly suited for that. So that's a time-honored tradition in the South. I don't know about you know uh, our listeners in the North. I don't know how John or or Brian from the Taiwan teacher would would respond to that, uh, or in other countries. I don't know how it works, but in the South, it's a time-honored tradition to take anything that is broken and make a smoker out of it. Right. <laughs> um, water heaters make great smokers. Um, old propane uh, gas tanks, when, when they get dented or whatever, make great smokers. Um, refrigerators, old ovens. Um, anything you can uh, more or less keep a, a, a stable temperature in. Right. Absolutely. And mine will be electrical powered. 
So uh, yeah, you need to you need to describe that because I remember when you first told me I was like electrical power. To, what I didn't quite understand <laughs> it. Then of course you de- described it to me and it made a lot more sense. And then of course I had a, I've had an opportunity to see yours, but uh, you have to describe that process because that's really cool. Well, it's really simple. It's just a couple of hardware store um, hot plate burners that I bought from uh, com slash Amazon for like eight bucks each, and they'll sit down in the bottom with a steel pan on top of that full of wood chips. And so they provide the heat and and make the wood smolder and provide the smoke. And then if you get a sealed enough contain uh, uh, unit, uh, there's not enough air for it to actually light fire. So all it can do is smolder and smoke. So the, that- the, the burner provides consistent heat, and I can set that, dial that thing in at 200 degrees and walk away for a week if I want to. And it, it never goes, it never changes. Now I'm curious. Have you ever had it where you like you know opened it up to check on the meat, and then all of a sudden like combustion? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never had that happen before, but I guess it's theoretically possible. Okay, uh, but, I was just wondering. I guess if you don't have too much wood in there, it's not really going to be. Uh, it's not like an explosion or right. anything. Uh, I just use little wood chunks or wood chips uh, do the job. Uh, the t- the classic way to do it is to burn wood. And then have that in a firebox off to the side and have the smoke drift in. Uh, it's hard to control the temperature that way. You've got to control it by opening and closing valves. I like electric because I can literally just dial it in, it, get it exactly what I want, and it never changes. The challenge, however, is getting a burner powerful enough to heat. Like when you open the door, all your heat goes out. Right. So you want to bring it back up to ten- temperature quickly. But also, it needs to be able to dial down when it gets there. So it's a little tricky with wiring up thermostats and getting something powerful enough to do the job without blowing every circuit in your house. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. Cool. You'll have to get us some pictures when you get it finished. Yeah, I will. I'll post some things up there. It's it's not going to be all that impressive to look at. It's just going to be a black wooden box. But uh, my wife commented, why does it have to be black? I said, because the smoke will make it black in a couple of years anyway. I might as well start black. Right. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and so in sort of getting on, uh, I didn't do the this week we're going to talk about at the beginning um, because I thought the topic, uh, the title pretty much uh, told it all. We're going to poke some, uh, take some jabs at, at Apple today, uh, but not uh, just unsolicited jabs where you actually have data behind them this time. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> usually. We well, don't. or some information. Yeah, certainly. And we, we were going to have a, a an Apple fanboy on. But uh, he backed out. So uh, just so you know, this isn't just we, we collated this data using other people and other sources. But, you know, due to scheduling conflicts and frankly, I think he was a little scared of Sean. We, uh, <laughs> we didn't get our guest on. But uh, right. just as a little bit of, of transition into that, I wanted to I, I mentioned on the show last week our new mobile app. And I said that uh, the Android app was finished and that the uh, iPhone iPad app was uh, in the works. Well, after about six days or so of cranking on that and the process, well, let me, let me back up. The process to build the Android app, I built the app using the, the tools at conduit.com. I built it, and between the time I said, hey, I think I'll build an app, and the time the app was in the app store, up and ready for download, was like three hours max. Oh, so wow. I built the app on conduit.com, which is really easy. I downloaded, uh, I had to pay my $25 to become a developer. And basically, that's just to prove that you're a real person. Scammers, spammers generally don't want to pay $25. Um, and I got an SSL cert. 
that signs my things and I and I uploaded it to the market and done. Then it took them maybe an hour for it to actually hit the market. We're now almost two weeks into this process and we still don't have an iPhone app in the market because it took about a week to get through the uh, approval process with, with Conduit.com before we ever got to Apple. Uh, apparently, okay. they didn't care about the Android app, uh, but they wanted to review the iPhone app. So you have to go through and you have to get, uh, I believe it's four different SSL certs from Apple. Oh, wow. One, one is your developer identity. One is your um, application identity, and then two other provisioning identities. So if you want to do push notifications, that's a different cert. And then if you want to do um, updates over the air, that's another cert. So I had to go through all of that, and and it's a big, long, involved process. I got all that done. Finally, I got everything good to go. The app is ready. It is built. It's ready to, to, to be uploaded I go through the process of uploading it to, oh, well, I forgot a step. One of the processes in getting my certs was I had to prove that I owned an iDevice. You, no, you, really? Yeah. You, I had to enter the 40-digit uh, unique identifier of some iDevice before they would even give me the certification I needed to um, create an app. That's retarded. Yeah. So I have to prove that I, I've already paid them $500 at least. Right. Um, so, you know, as we've mentioned here before, I have an iPad, so I hooked it up and, and I got the identifier off of that, submitted that. So then after all that got, uh, is finished, I go to upload it. I'm, I'm stepping through the instructions on how to do it, which is very well laid out. And then I get to like step four of five, four out of five. The fourth step says this can only be done from um, Mac OS ten. No. Yeah, you can't upload an app from any other operating system. And and there's no real reason for it. It's just that the upload app that they have is an OS 10 native app, and you can't do it unless you have an OS 10 uh, machine. So even if you have an old iMac or something like that, or or you're running you know OS 9 or something, too bad, can't do it. You have to have a modern, updated Mac OS 10 or less or, or more to to upload the app that I've already created. Hmm. So, you know, again, Android, three hours tops from, hey, I think I'll make an app to, hey, look, my app's in the market. Right. Apple um, cost me four times as much. I had to, to pay a $100 uh, developer th- uh, fee for a year. Android is $25 ever. Apple is $100 a year. Then I had to prove that I had spent $500 at some point on one of their devices. Otherwise, they wouldn't even talk to me. Then once I did that, I have to go either buy or seek out somebody <laughs> with a Mac. And I, I can't just like email. I know I know somebody out there listening saying, hey, I've got a Mac. I can do it for you. Now, in order to do it, I have to like give you the keys to the kingdom. I have to give you all my SSL certs and my passwords and all that so that you can do it. And I'm just not really comfortable <laughs> doing that no matter how much I trust somebody. Right. So I'm going to have to get somebody to loan me their Mac for a while uh, or pay somebody. The conduit.com says that they can can do it in their uh, service for a $50 fee. So it's looking as it's going to cost me at least $150 to $200 on top of the fact that I happen to have an iPad device uh, just to get an app in the market. <laughs> Welcome to the world of Apple. Yes, yes. Yeah, there's always some new uh, extra fee that you got to pay around the corner. 
So, with that said, the show today is about um, Sean's perceived uh, downsides to an Apple-heavy environment where he now works. Is that is that a pretty good way to say it? Well, I mean, I guess I, I have some positives in there too. Uh, it really? kind of depends. Yeah, it depends on the device, <laughs> but uh, I, I guess it's just maybe uh, uh, you know the revelations I've had since, you know, now I've been able to, uh, you know, get some hands on with these devices, uh, yeah, and, you know, see the users use them, see how they interact on a network and things like that. And, you know, just to, to reiterate when he worked for me, we didn't have any Apple stuff. So we, we were pretty ignorant about them all, all the way around. Now he's rolling out hundreds a week. So he's got right. lots of hands on experience with them. Yeah, we just went through uh, a period what we call matching funds. So uh, the technology will match funds for uh, to the campuses up to a certain level uh, in order for them to uh, purchase new technology. So if a campus decides they want to purchase, you know, an extra hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, whatever, uh, we'll match that and give them another hundred thousand dollars. So uh, uh, so it doubles their you know, the size of their wallet. Uh, so we just went through that and had all those devices come in. A very large portion of those were Apple products and, uh, we prepped them and got them deployed out. And, uh, you know, we were like mini Santa Clauses running around the district, dropping off Macs and iPods and, you know, Mac carts and you name it. And were they happy to see you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of what I wanted to start off with. And, uh, I, I was going to kind of say a history of Apple and education, but you know, it just, I don't know if we need to necessarily go that deep, but there certainly is, it, it, it's like Apple is ingrained at that level. So the teacher level, you know, and of course principals, uh, you know, any, anybody who actually, uh, works on the campus level, teaching the kids, uh, they've just got this undying love for Apple products. And, uh, it's interesting and I'll, I'll share some of why I think that should be dispelled, but, uh, but there's that history there, you know, Apple for, you know, from the earliest parts of that company has really kind of sidled up to education. I think they, you know, it's smart to do. You realize if you get users young, then they're going to be lifetime users, uh, so it, it's smart, but, uh, you know, there's certainly that, I don't know, the logo I'm sure has something to do with it as well. I mean, what teacher doesn't love an Apple? Well, both, I say both companies, Microsoft and Apple, uh, Apple has, has, again, we need to distinguish, uh, one of the primary differences between the two. Apple is a hardware company. Windows, uh, Microsoft is a software company. There is no Microsoft computer. Uh, well, with the exception of the Xbox. So, right. Um, both have have offered very steep discounts to education. Apple, uh, particularly in the early days, were all but giving away computers to schools. They were very inexpensive, and Microsoft offers very very inexpensive, like uh, one tenth or less of the commercial cost for Windows or Office uh, to in, in certain educational programs. So they they both are trying really hard to get into schools. Uh, in the hopes of creating addicted users, right? And uh, Apple has been very successful in that, um, and so has has Microsoft, but in very different ways. Yeah, you know, it's funny that Microsoft just has never really received that same kind of love. 
you know, and it, it, that's very interesting. Um, yeah, people don't cuddle up to their Windows machines. They use them. They're work machines. They appreciate them, but they don't get emotionally attached to them. Right, right. I've literally well, seen goes, people hug their Macs before. Yeah, and that goes back to uh, what we've said all along. You know, it's all about the pretty, and, uh, you know, so there's a lot of that. I have noticed that since Windows, uh, you know, Microsoft has really kind of, uh, ever ever since really XP, like with Vista and then uh, on forward, Microsoft obviously put a lot more thought into at least the aesthetic look of Windows. And I don't know about you, Mark, but it seems to me that that's, that has actually, you know, uh, gained some footing. I mean, people, you know, the, the basic end users, the people who aren't really tech savvy at all, seem to have warmed up to Windows a little bit more than they did in the past. I agree, but also I think that, you know, there are hundreds of millions of XP users who are happy with XP. So I, I don't think they really needed that to capture the market. There's still a huge market that they've already captured. Uh, they were lagging behind in the in the pretty department, and they, fi- they, they caught up with Vista and then fixed it with 7. Right, right. Yeah, so I, I've noticed, uh, you know, people being a lot happier with their windows machines than they were in the past. Uh, but still, I mean, the, the whole Apple thing, I mean, there's a, it's a, there's a cool factor, you know, you're, you're, you know, if you open up that, that MacBook and it's got that glowing Apple logo on it, you're somehow cooler than the rest. <laughs> uh, and then, I mean, let's face it, the desktop and the environment that they use is, uh, is quite a bit prettier and uh, certainly a little bit more intuitive. So, uh, uh, that goes a long way. But uh, I'm going to just kind of run down the major product lines, I guess. And, you know, t- I-, I was trying to decide how I was going to parcel out this show as far as, you know, at first I started off, it was going to be kind of a pros and cons of just overall all of the devices. And then I thought, no, nah, I need to kind of break it down because uh, I see these devices uh, very differently. Um, as I've had a chance to see them and work with them, uh, you know, uh, on the administrative side and then also watching the users use them. So, uh, I'll start off with the IMAX, which I, we might have more than one, but there's only one that I'm aware of and our web designer uses. They're great machines. They're very pretty anyway. Um, very aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. I mean, they're cool. I guess, you know, I've seen, uh, I, I watch a lot of videos, uh, both on YouTube, both about web design and also about programming. And it's obvious that a lot of web designers, you know, professional web designers and professional programmers, uh, there's a lot of them out there that like their Macs. Yes. And, uh, uh, you know, that's, that's fine, I guess. And it's, you know, not surprising that our own professional web designer would use, uh, would use an iMac, but, um, you know, from the, I, I, I'd love to talk to some of those people and just find out, like, you know, why that is. Because when you're programming and you're writing code, it doesn't really matter. Well, it does if you want to upload to the iTunes store. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if you're developing apps for the App Store, then I guess you need that iMac, right? It's, it's interesting. Something, a thought that just occurred to me. Uh, people often give Apple credit for doing things first when actually they they have done very few things ever first and people often give credit to apple for introducing the all-in-one computer in the in the old imac you know the old egg-shaped machine but the tandy trs 80 
computer that I used in 1984 in middle school wasn't all in one unit. You remember that, right? With the two floppy drives on the side and the monitor yep. in the middle. Yeah. Uh, all in one units have been around for a long time, but Apple gets credit for having invented them. And so the iMac right. is an all in one device. And when Dell comes out with an all in one device, they say, oh, well, they're just trying to copy the iMac. No, they've been around for 30, 40 years now. Right. Well, it's just like the App Store, you know. It's like uh, it's perceived out there that Apple invented the App Store or, you know, or the smartphone. That, what's that? Or the smartphone. Or the smartphone. Yeah, you're right. And uh, I think we've had that discussion before. But, you know, I to me, the first one was my pride and joy, my trio by Palm. Right. Which had an app store and was a smartphone. So, uh, again, yeah, I mean, that that's uh, you're right, Mark. But uh, that's just kind of the way it is out there. Okay, so skipping over the iMacs, they're not big in schools. You don't have a lot of experience with them. I don't have a lot of experience with them. So we're just going to say they're out there and move on to MacBooks. Which, yeah, yeah, because I, I think the, just one last thing on the iMacs and the reason I think no, you I'm don't. I'm sorry, I said we're done. We can't go back. They're, they're so expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, if, if we're going to deride people for buying macbooks and ipod touches and things like that i think we would like roast them for buying imac so <laughs> well they are very expensive but apple prides itself on being on selling expensive computers they they just won't sell cheap computers right right and you know and and there's quality there and that's where i guess where i can start off with the macbooks because i mean you you can feel it when you pick it up that there's a significant difference in quality there i mean it just feels rock solid um and then of course we've talked about the hardware that's inside um they are well engineered and well built laptops they are i, I guess that's about all i can say there and again uh, apple's a hardware company so that's what they do really well right um i will say though you know that aluminum case is uh prone to denting so I'm sure I'm not. This isn't a revelation to anybody who owns a Mac out there, but if you drop that thing, it's it's going to dent, very likely. So uh, something to consider before you throw it into the hands of you know 100 fourth graders. Our friend uh, Kevin, who's been on the show before, actually considers that a selling point. He points to the dent in his MacBook uh, Pro and says, "See, um, it still works. It's dented and still works." Yeah. And I'll have to actually back him up on that. I've seen several dented and still working. Now, that's the Pro model. The regular MacBook models have the plastic case. They don't dent. They break. Right, right. Yeah, and, and I, should, I should say that all of our MacBooks are all MacBook Pros, so uh, we're, we're super cool. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're great. They make you want to, you know, work on them. I can totally understand it. Um, and the kids certainly, if they're if they're given the option, you know, of uh, you know an Asus laptop on the left and a MacBook on the right, uh, they're going to go to the MacBook. So you know, I, I get where that comes from. I guess is the best thing I can say. Um, uh, oh, I was going to say something else. Oh, I did want to say also, 
since, you know, if you're a tech, you're very used to this. You see a fleet of laptops out there. Kids are using them. And what inevitably happens, there's always keys missing. Keyboard keys, yes. Right. And I have yet to see, I don't even know, I mean, I'm sure it's possible, but I have never seen a key missing on one of our Macs. And you know how that uh, that keyboard, like the aluminum surrounds every single key on the keyboard. Right. It's not, not like a standard laptop key from another maker. Uh, so I'm sure that has, you know, just the design of it has something to do with it. But I've never had one that I had to replace a key or a keyboard on, which I couldn't replace the keyboard on. We'll get to that later on. But, uh, but that's just something that really caught my eye because – uh, I replace probably a couple of keyboards or, you know, have to deal with some keys or keyboards a couple of times a week on our normal laptops or Dell laptops. So, uh, just something I noticed. Um, as far as, uh, imaging, I wanted to talk about imaging and we use a tool called Casper. Uh, and I've noticed out there on the net that, uh, people also refer to it as JAMF, which is the software company that makes Casper. Um, but, uh, we're actually using two imaging solutions that we pay for, uh, because we're in this multi environment. So we've got, uh, all of our windows, uh, uh, which on the windows side, we're all Dell and, uh, and then we've got our Macs that we've got to support too. So we're actually paying for two different imaging solutions, which just seems outrageous to me. Mark doesn't, uh, doesn't fog do max too? Um, I think in the raw mode in that it just, you know, it'll take whatever's on the disc. And just like does, a whole disc. Right. But it doesn't do anything after it's imaged. Okay. Okay. So it couldn't like rename it or do any of that kind of stuff. No. Okay. Uh, Casper, I'm, I've got to say, uh, and I've heard that it's expensive. That's as much as I know. I don't know how much we're paying for it, but uh, we are, a pretty large and fairly wealthy district. So I got to imagine if we think it's expensive, that it's probably really expensive. <laughs> it's so, so expensive. It's above your pay grade to know how expensive it is. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't get to look at those invoices, but uh, when I haven't, I, it might be the only thing I've actually heard referenced that way, that it was expensive. <laughs> so the, but so the MacBooks weren't expensive. No, no, no. Those are, you know, dropping the bucket. <laughs> but uh, we, I guess we're in a situation where we feel like that's the only solution that really worked for us across the board. And I will say it works very well. Um, it takes care of all the naming and, you know, of course, the imaging. And we run a dual boot environment and it handles the partitioning and uh, all of that. No problem. Uh, it's a great tool. It also handles, uh, uh, managing all of your other little iOS devices. So your iPod touches and your, your iPads and things like that. So, um, it's a great, great solution, but, uh, it's, it's going to be an extra cost. So if it's, if you're at a district where you haven't implemented these devices, this is something you're going to need to keep in mind is, you know, how are you going to manage them? How are you going to image them? How are you going to handle your uh, application uh, deployments and things like that? And uh, 
you know, Casper is a great tool for it, but uh, it's going to cost you. Okay. Uh, let's see. What else? Did I miss anything on Casper? Oh, yeah. I did want to mention this, too. Uh, when you are when you are dealing with a, a tool like Casper, because with Casper, you can, like, let's say with all your iPads and everything, like you buy, you, you get on a volume license with Apple and you buy App X whatever and uh, so you've got that and you can deploy that out to all of your devices well casper can handle that and it'll it'll take care of all of your licensing and it'll push out your apps to all of your devices so if you add 30 ipod touches to your network casper will inventory those devices and then it will also push out all your approved apps to those devices automatically so it's a great tool for that but you also have uh, the upfront license of Casper plus an annual support contract that has to be renewed every year. Um, and then you also have to get your iOS developer enterprise program membership. Uh, that's not that much. It's only two ninety nine a year. Uh, but that that's for your app deployment and your Apple push notifications and things like that. So kind of like what you were talking about, Mark. Um, but this is for an enterprise environment. So. Again, it's those sort of hidden costs that are going to keep biting you as you get into these devices. And let's face it, they're not cheap up front anyways. Um, now, what I do want to say, uh, let's see, I, I don't know if I should put that in here yet. Well, let's talk about networking. Um, uh, we have our setup where the domain credential synchronization works fine. So users don't have to, you know, we have a dual boot environment so they can boot into Windows or to the Mac side and uh, they can use their same logon credentials on either side. So that's nice. That that works nicely. Um, that's but, authenticating to an Active Directory machine? Right, right. right. Um, now what that does is we actually have a a Mac server that is crossing over to our Active Directory server. Does that make sense? So they authenticate with the Mac server. The Mac server then authenticates with the Active Directory system. Right. Gotcha. I thought that's how it would, because I don't think they can interact directly with Active Directory. That was my understanding. Right, right. Um, but uh, but we've got that working, no problems. Uh, I will say they have a nasty habit of losing. It, it says that it loses, it's lost trust with your domain. <laughs> And uh, so users will try to log on, and I get a handful of these every week uh, where they can't log on to the Mac side anymore. Now, interestingly, if they boot into the Windows side, they can still log in. But on the Mac side, it's lost trust with our domain. And uh, the only way that we've been able to fix it so far is just to reimage the machine. Now, we've, we've had that issue on the, the Windows side before uh, with Windows 7. I never really had it with XP, but Windows 7 occasionally will just forget it's part of a domain. You have to pull it out of the domain and put it back in the domain. Um, right. So that's not unheard of, uh, but it's certainly not several times a week. Yeah, well, and I think that's just a, a game of numbers. I mean, we have so many of them out there uh, that, you know, I, I see, uh, you know, several of them a week, but it, it's very easy. Uh, Casper imaging is as easy as... Uh, pretty much any other, you know, uh, top tier imaging solution. Uh, you know, it's a few quick commands and, uh, you know, 20 minutes later you're back up and running. So, uh, not a big deal. Um, uh, accessing network folders. It, 
it works, but it's very confusing to the users. And Mark, I, I think this is very similar to like a Linux environment where you have to kind of dig down into the folders uh, to actually. Well, it makes sense because it, it probably is based on the same sort of Unix arc. And in fact, I know it uses Samba. Uh, right. Where uh, on on a Windows machine, you can map directly to subfolders like you can have a share uh, like users and then the username and then home folder inside the username and map directly to that in samba right. you can only map to a share so it's at the top level which is exactly what you know that's how we reference our you know how, like where you're at you you reference those as your uh your w drive right. or your whatever drive and we reference them as shares so we have a t share or an x share or whatever you know um but uh, they're not uh, – it, it's not like on the Windows side just clicking into – and maybe we could make it easier, but we just haven't. But, uh, you know, going to my computer and you've got C and you've got all of your other sh uh, drives or shares in there. Um, so it's it's a roadblock, and I'll, I'll use this to lead into the use, uh, which I've thought has been very interesting. Uh, one, the Macs that I deploy so far, without exception, and now I, I just got done uh, doing a few hundred of them, uh, the users that are googly-eyed about Apple and about their Macs requested that they, by default, boot into Windows. That just, makes sense. It's probably a very good Windows machine. It is. It's a great Windows machine. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that we're going to buy these laptops that cost so much more than something else that we could get. And, you know, again, it gets back to uh, I could have this one MacBook Pro or I could have two Dells. And they're opting for one MacBook Pro. And they're not but they're not really using it as a Mac. Which they're means that with with the money that you already spent on the MacBook being more expensive, you still had to put a Windows license on it, which right. didn't come with it. Like if you buy it with a Dell, um, it will often, well, generally not in schools, but a home user, it'll come with a Windows license part of the, the price. That's not the right. case with the Mac, so you have to go then buy a Windows license. Right. Well, and then you've got the additional expense of the, uh, the additional infrastructure to support those devices as well. So... Um, it, it that's it's one that just has really it further irked me i guess is, is the best way to say it because uh i see them uh, i want to say probably in the vicinity of 90 percent or better on those devices in a windows environment um so it, it's just yeah something that just continues to rub me the wrong way um uh so they're primarily being used the same as a windows laptop uh, another reason that they are, re are requesting that is a lot of the software that they've purchased over the years is Windows software. So they have this list of, you know, five, eight, ten different uh, applications that they want loaded up to these machines, uh, which we're able to manage that very easily. But uh, since they have all of that stuff that they've been using year in, year out, they want these kids still booting into Windows. So, you know, I, I haven't really gotten into the discussion because I just don't think I could handle myself. I don't think I could compose myself 
to have this discussion with any of the people who decide to buy these devices, but you know, why are you buying these devices? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. <laughs> that's the question that I like to, I like to ask often is why are you buying these? Right. So, uh, so yeah, it's just, uh, it's frustrating to, to say the least. Um, well, you skipped over a note in your, uh, in your notes that, that forward me is that they're using movie maker in windows yeah, on yes. a Mac instead of the, yeah. the much celebrated iLife suite, they're using movie maker. Right, right. Yeah. I put that in all caps. I'm glad you caught that mark. Cause I did want to, you know, they're obviously they're using office applications like PowerPoint and word and things like that, that, you know, are very often used in, in the classroom. But yeah, I see them using movie maker on a Mac and it just it just blows my mind. I'm like, I thought that was the reason you bought a Mac was because the iLife suite was so much easier to use. Well, but then we gotta you know reboot and boot over to the Mac side. So, <laughs> so uh, I don't know. You know, this is a unique situation. I'm sure there's schools out there that are buying Macs and they are not maybe maybe not running a dual boot environment on them. But I think if you're running a dual boot environment out there that you're going to find your users are going to spend more time on the Windows side than on the Mac side. Well, that'd be an interesting thing to, for uh, our audience to let us know. Is that the case at your school? Yeah, because it's, uh, you know, I see it and it just boggles my mind. I just like, you know, I, I, I don't understand it. Um, but I, you know, I've beaten that to death. So I'll go on to my last point with the Macs, which is support and maintenance. And uh, that's pretty much not you is the best way I can say it. Um, you're going to be dealing with Apple. And uh, now there's some kind of neat things there is that if you've got an Apple store anywhere nearby, you can just take the device over there. Uh, the drawback is if you're support staff, you don't want to be going over to the Apple store because you have one laptop that's not working. Uh, now, your other option is you can package it up and ship it off to Apple, and, and they'll do whatever they need to do with it. But um, that's pretty much it. And, you know, even if I could say that anybody, uh, you know, in our shop had the technical expertise to work on these, which I'm sure it's probably not too much different than uh, working on, you know, any other laptop, um, you still don't want to do that because they're under warranty. So if, if I decide that I want to crack this thing open and try to replace a hard drive on it or something, uh, I don't even want to do that because I'm going to avoid any warranty. What is the standard warranty on a MacBook Pro? Uh, I believe it's two years, but we are like automatically, all we have to do is call them up and we get an extension of four years. So pretty good warranty. Um, and I'll say right now I've only dealt with one warranty issue with all of our uh, Apple devices, um, and that was uh, in uh, dealing with an iPad, so I'll, I'll talk about that when we hit on those. <coughs> but um, uh, also under support and maintenance, I just uh, I do see much fewer basic maintenance problems, you know, like bad hard drives or uh, you know uh, failing power supplies, things like that. I, I don't see that. Uh, nearly as much as in uh, like the Dell laptops. But that doesn't surprise me. I guess that's kind of what I expect given the better hardware. Um, yes. Yeah, so for all those people who say that we never say anything nice about Macs, look at all the times that we've complimented how good their hardware is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I will say that, you know, 
literally in a couple of months, let's see here now, what has it been? Uh, two and a half, three months now. Uh, I want to say it's less than a handful that we're talking about as far as the difference between all the Dells. And let's face it, we probably have somewhere, you know, it might even be, it, it might actually be an even run, quite honestly, Mark, because, um, uh, well, with the Macs, I've got to say, I have, I've had zero issues with uh, bad hard drives or, or bad power supplies or anything like that. I haven't had any. I had something with the uh, iPad, but um, but with the Dells, I made maybe a handful, and and even those are you know they're pretty roughed up devices. But um, where I've had you know maybe a bad hard drive or uh, bad LCD or something like that that I've had to replace. So. Um, when you're talking about thousands and thousands of devices, you know, people always like to rise up and defend Apple and, well, you're going to save so much more money on, you know, part replacements and stuff like that. I I don't see it. I mean, of money we have saved off of part replacements versus Apple and Dell is less than a machine. So I don't really know any other way to say that, but it's, it's minuscule. So, uh, let's see. Lifespan. Uh, that's another common one that I hear, you know, the Apple supporters, the Apple fanboys, uh, love to mention, you know, well, these things have such a greater lifespan than, you know, if I buy a MacBook Pro versus a, a, a Dell Latitude, uh, or whatever. And I, I don't see that being the case. Um, we are getting, even at our district, we have some uh, laptops that are on the order of maybe five to six years old that are still working. Uh, they are a little laggy, but they're laggy because of where their hardware is. I mean, it's kind of getting outdated. And uh, that's really the point I want to make. Uh, our, our Apple products age the same way that the Dell ones do, uh, and it's based more on uh, their hardware becoming obsolete. So it's just not beefy enough anymore. So, you know, four, five, six years on, on both sides of that equation. Right. And that makes sense because that's it, it even with, uh, commodity hardware and, and we'll, we'll stipulate that Apple, uh, isn't, um, it's generally good enough in terms of durability to get you through the, the lifespan, the usable lifespan of the device. Now, I, uh, I'm famous for saying that we throw machines out long before we should, but that, that reality being that reality, you, you're going to get five to six years out of, a, out of a laptop before you have to repurpose it to do something else. Right. And it doesn't it, matter that you've paid a lot more for a better uh, designed uh, and aluminum uh, encased machine. You still only get four to six years out of it. Right, right. And then, you know, technology is going to dictate such that, you know, that that processor and the RAM and everything else can't handle what new cool stuff is streaming out on the web or whatever, you know, the demands that we put on it. So uh, I'm just seeing that as not nearly the kind of issue that people like to make that out. So, uh, so yeah, uh, in the end, uh, as far as the Macs go, I just, I still don't get it. I don't know why we're spending money on these things in education. <laughs> So, uh, uh, real quick, cause we're, we're going to run long here. So I will, uh, go over, uh, iPads and iPods, uh, as quickly as I can. Uh, I'll start off again with great hardware. 
but uh, the no interchangeable batteries has really been one that I've noticed uh, biting us. Uh, when the battery goes, uh, so, you know, we talk about life, uh, you know, uh, a life cycle. These uh, iOS devices have a much shorter life cycle because they're constantly being used and they're constantly, those batteries are being uh, recharged and recharged daily, you know, sometimes several times a day. And uh, so I see them where we, I'm getting devices back. And yeah, they've been used for a couple of years and they've been used heavily for a couple of years. But the uh, battery is no good anymore, and so it's essentially it's a, a paperweight. So it, it's it's a little disappointing, again, considering that, you know, we're spending a good amount of money on these devices. Uh, what I will say is uh, they get a heck of a lot more use and use as intended. Uh, I, I just so, did so, – uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just did no. a quick Google, and Apple says – that uh, an iPhone iPod Touch battery will last about 400 charges. So right. if that uh, 187 days uh, in uh, a school uh, for a student, if one charge a day, you get two years of life out of it. If you charge it twice a day, you get one year of life out of it. Right. And I, that, that's basically what I've been seeing is about two years, about two school years for these devices. But certainly something that, you know, you have to be aware of if you're if you're heavily investing in these devices, you need to be aware of the fact that uh, they're not going to last you nearly as long as your laptops are. So you need to be prepared for the fact that these devices you're buying today are only going to be around for, you know, the next couple of years. And then you need to, you know, know what you're going to do. Are you going to continue to cycle those or what? Um, on these devices, it's all about the apps. Uh, and I will say it's a very, very good idea and it's an extra expense, but, uh, if you're going to have any significant amount of these devices and intend to actually be able to manage them, uh, you really need to get a synchronization cart that goes with that. Uh, so if you're going to buy 20 iPod touches, you're going to want to get the, the cart uh, at a, at, you know, not a cheap cart. But it will charge them, and it will also synchronize all of their or their apps and things like that. So, from a management perspective, uh, I, I think they're a great thing. Um, and then that goes back to the whole Casper suite. So, uh, these devices can be recognized by Casper. You've got them on your network. They're supposed to have all of these, you know, twenty different applications or whatever that you that you paid for, and you just plug them in, and it, it just happens. Uh, so that's really nice from a management uh, standpoint. Um, uh, and, you know, the applications is what everybody talks about. And I've seen some really neat uses in the classroom. Uh, Do you have any numbers on uh, approximately what you spend <coughs> uh, on apps? Uh, for I don't know per device or per cart or or how that works. Like if you if you're spending um three thousand dollars for an iPad cart, how much are you then spending for the apps to go on those iPads? Uh, well, an iPad cart is going to run you quite a bit more than that. Um, because let's see, uh, I'm going to say the iPad carts we usually set up are about ten to fifteen iPads. And, uh, so you're, you're looking at probably somewhere more after the cart has been purchased as, as well of around a $15,000 per, 
cart. Yeah, my 3000 wasn't even close. Right. I'm, I'm, so, I'm thinking too tightwad. Right. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's pricey right there. And keeping in mind that these devices are going to last you a couple of, only a couple of years. Uh, I want to say, and uh, I don't, these aren't hard numbers, but I want to say there's probably about 20 apps per device. And those can range from, uh, the free, uh, on up to, uh, most of the apps that they buy are anywhere from 99 cents to about, uh, Four ninety nine, right around five. Excuse me, five dollars. So, you know, not crazy amount of money spent on those apps. Uh, I'm gonna say it's gonna be in the maybe hundred dollar mark, and and of course, a lot of that stuff can be purchased on volume licensing. So, um, you know, that the extra expense of the apps is not crazy, um, but. Uh, just the upfront cost. I mean, $15,000 for, you know, one little cart. I mean, it's it, to me that, that seems a little bit outrageous, but, um, but I will say that I actually give more of a thumbs up to these devices than I do to the Macs themselves, to the Mac, like the, the laptops. Um, the students absolutely love these devices. So if you can, and I, now one, I should preface this with saying that I'm exclusively in elementary schools at this point. Uh, but with those younger kids, basically these applications convince the kids that they're playing and then the device that they're using these applications on convince the kids that they're playing as well. So it, it gets back to, again, that kind of engagement thing. But the kids love being on them and they're just absolutely addicted to them. Um, so I can see why teachers love these devices, especially at that level. Um, it's really kind of hard to argue when you see it on a widespread basis. Um, I will say that, uh, the model that I'm seeing seems to work really well in that, uh, we don't have like a, a cart full of lap, uh, iPads for every classroom. We have a few carts per campus and those, the classrooms have to check them out. So the kids are getting limited time on these devices, and I think that kind of adds to that where they want to be on those devices. Um, I think if every kid on a campus was on an iPad all day long, I think that would start to wear off pretty quickly, and they would recognize that it's actually learning that they're doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I and I've heard that from other people, that the engagement is definitely uh, there, but it does fade. Right. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I see it. I tend to kind of agree with it. I, I think, you know, having a few carts of these on a campus is, is not a bad thing, uh, because the kids are certainly going to be engaged when they're on them. And as long as you've got the right applications, there's some great learning applications. And not to say that that's unique to Apple, because I've downloaded a great number of learning applications onto my phone for my daughter that are, you know, in the Android market the same types of applications and everything else. So uh, this isn't uh, the show where we, you know, compare Apple and Android, uh, but I, you know, I am, you know, I, I do like seeing those uh, kids use those applications. You can certainly see that they're getting value out of them. So uh, these devices make a lot more sense to me than, uh, than the MacBook pros do. <coughs> 
excuse me. Uh, and then on to quickly support and maintenance for these. Same thing as the Macs. Uh, you're going to deal with the Apple Store or you're going to have to ship it back to Apple. Uh, I will say that I had an iPad that was uh, just not starting it, just like uh, whatever, something in the power uh, died and it was less than a year old. And a uh, principal of mine had it and wanted, uh, we took a look at it and we couldn't, you know, there's very little troubleshooting you can do on these things from a tech standpoint. Uh, but it was right before Thanksgiving break and she offered to run it by the Apple store during the Thanksgiving break. She did. They looked at it, said, you know, there was something wrong with the power and they handed her a brand new one. So, uh, and I've heard that story many times, even with laptops, uh, that, uh, if you ha- get a defective MacBook pro, that $3,000 laptop, they'll swap it out for you. Uh, because you know it's defective and and it's not like dealing with uh dell or compaq or hp where you uh sit on the phone for six hours and then convince them that there really is a problem and then they send somebody out who tries to fix it and then they really can't and then it's a two-month process you take that thing to an apple store they look at it yep it's busted here's a new one right and so far that's been my experience um and it was great that in this instance the principal wanted to do that but i could also see that you know, if I had to deal with, you know, five of these a week or something, that would be problematic because right. if it was me having to run out to the Apple store every time one of these devices uh, decides it doesn't want to work, uh, that all of a sudden becomes a huge problem. Well, and, you know, let's extend that out to where, where I work. The nearest Apple store is an hour and 45 minutes away. So, right. You know, that's a big deal for me. Yeah. So it's definitely something, another thing you would want to keep in mind is, you know, how are you going to deal with maintenance on these devices, um, given that those are your options? Uh, so it works just fine for us. We've got Apple stores right down the road, and it's not a problem. But uh, we also don't have such a volume of these devices at such an age that I think we've, we have yet to really fully experience the extent of that. Uh, just this year, I think we've doubled our Apple the number of Apple devices that we have. So I'm curious to see two, three, four years from now, uh, how that starts impacting us. So, um, and my last point, I think I already, I've already said, I mean, these, the the iOS devices are really, uh, they're the interesting devices to me. Yes, they're expensive. I don't know that you should necessarily be trying to do them on a one-to-one basis, but, uh, you know, they certainly, I see the, the positive impact they make in the classroom um, with the kids. And unfortunately, there's not a really, a, there's not really a good alternative to them. You know, there are Android devices, but when you come to uh, Apple still ahead of the pack when it comes to uh, things like application management and being able to push that stuff out and, and manage a fleet of them. And it's not perfect by any means, but it's, uh, it, th- there's nothing else out there that really has a setup like that yet. Or am I wrong, Mark? I mean, do you know of anything? Well, so there, there you hear it, people. Sean has been replaced by a pod person. Um, he's, <laughs> he's officially been uh, co-opted, and he is no longer the tightwad tech that we all knew and loved. Right, right. No, actually, that's my call, though, is, you know, we need we need that next level from Android. You know, we need some company to start really rallying these Android devices into a, a form, an overall form that can be deployed in an enterprise because it's just not there. I think 
one of the issues with Android right now and their tablets is everybody wants to compete on price. And so they want to produce a $200 tablet that does the same thing that the $500 iPad does. But the reality is there's a reason the iPad costs $500. Right. Um, and the, the tablets that come close to the iPad cost $500. Um, and so, you know, India is, is trying to crank out their Android tablet that's going to cost like uh, 100 bucks each, I think it was. And all the reports I've heard about it is, is it's crap. Um, compared to the iPad, it's good for what it is, but you know, you, when you're, when you're trying to create an iPad killer, you got to have something that is pretty much equal or better. And so right. like the Asus transformer that we talked about, I think is, um, an iPad equivalent, but they don't have charging carts for them. The infrastructure, the, the, uh, um, ecosystem doesn't exist around that. I can't right. go out and get a bunch of Asus transformer replicator carts that sync up all my apps. Um, that Apple, the market, not necessarily Apple, but the market around Apple has, has filled in that gap that, that still exists, that there's still a big gap on the Android side. Yeah. Yeah. And when I see that, and I, I mean, I hate to say that, but at least, uh, hopefully people listening to this can know that I have some integrity here is that if you want to go to these type of mobile devices, you, you kind of have to go the Apple route at this point. Uh, so yes, not said uh, from the standpoint of an Apple fanboy, more of uh, somebody out there, please right. bring, bring Android up to speed. But still these tablet devices, either the iPad or the iPod touch or the, or the, the Asus or, or any of those devices are supplemental to a laptop. They are not replacements for a laptop. Certainly not. And, and I don't see them being used in that way at all. Um, they're great. They're used for those apps and those, you know, those learning apps certainly have a place in education. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, and the form factor certainly adds to the kids wanting to to use these apps and and spend time uh learning even though they they don't realize they're learning so uh i i get it i see it i see it happening in the classrooms and that's all great and i'm sure you know some amount of money spent on this uh it, you know is reasonable um i just wish like we said, I wish there was a, an Android equivalent, and I'm sure there will be. I mean, that's a hole in the market right now. So there's some company out there that should be making carts that that does all of this, and you know, servers that can sync all these Android devices. And so, I mean, that stuff's coming. It's just uh, it's not here yet. Right. Apple had essentially a three year head start. Right. Right. So that's all I've got. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to our tip section then. And as I already said, I don't have a tech tip. What did I say earlier was going to be my tech tip? I don't even remember. Uh, uh, something I mentioned. Okay, new rule. Right. From now on, when I talk, one of us has to be listening. Because uh, <laughs> I don't remember what it was. If we're not listening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, like I said, I, I told you I was running out of tech tips. I have run out. Maybe I'll get up some some new ones over over this time off, uh, and and be ready to go back uh, in the new year. But uh, uh, not right now. It's tough. I mean, we've been at this almost two years now. Yeah, this is uh, our eighty seventh, I think, uh, episode eighty fifth, maybe episode, uh, right. counting all the point fives, and so that's a lot of tech tips under the bridge. Right. Right. Absolutely. Now, me, I have a pretty large network to draw from. So, so far, I haven't run into that problem. But, uh, 
but yeah, teacher tips. I mean, you know, all you have to do is Google teacher tips and there's like a hundred different websites, people aggregating teacher tips. So what he's saying is he doesn't put any effort into this people. Not really. No, (laughs) (laughs) but Hey, I'm out there doing the Google searches for you. (laughs) Um, I do some calling. So I guess I, you know, I, I don't just, I check all this stuff out before I throw it out there as a teacher tip. Uh, and my teacher tip this week is snowflakeworkshop.com. Uh, I went with one that kind of fell in line with the season. And uh, this is, you know, I, I say I did the homework. I actually looked it up. This is some sort of a, a marketing thing for some other company, I think, that they put up. But uh, basically, you go to snowflakeworkshop.com. It's a cool little, I don't know if it's uh, Java or Flash uh, developed, but you basically get this folded up piece of paper. You know how you used to fold up the piece of paper and then you'd cut out little shapes of it. And then when you folded it back open, it made a snowflake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a digital version of that. So it gives you a little folded up piece of paper and you get a pencil and you can draw out your design and then you can take these little scissors and it it automatically cuts your design out for you. And then it flips it open and you've got your own little digital, digitally made uh, snowflake. Uh, So, Again, something uh, it's going to be cool for the the younger kids, but as I often find myself doing, as I come across these goofy little things, and I spend way too much time playing around with them, so <laughs> uh, go check it out, snowflakeworkshop.com. All right, I'm doing it right now. I'm making a snowflake. Yeah, I, it's it's pretty cool. It will probably uh, be nowhere near as good as my nine year old daughter could make. Right, right. But can you imagine? I mean, at the very least, if you, let's say, have three young girls at home on Christmas break, uh, you might kill 30 minutes worth of time actually uh, getting them to play around with this. <laughs> That's pretty cool. You, uh, you draw the, you grab the pencil and you draw the lines where you would cut out. Right. And then you click the scissors and a pair of hands reach in and grab the scissors and then grab the snowflake and pull it off the screen for you and then cut your shape. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very well done. I liked it. I, I thought it was fun. And I, don't, I haven't tried what the tape does or if it does anything yet. But uh, I'm not sure. You know, I didn't go so far, but it would even uh, it would be pretty cool, too, is you could actually do that. I'm wondering if you could, well, no, then you'd just have to cut it up again. <laughs> I was going to say, it'd be cool, though, if it could take that and then it would, like, print it out for you and then you could, you know. Well, you can't save the snowflake. I don't know what happens after you save it. But anyway. Yeah. Well, the idea, the idea, the point that the developers make is uh, is the whole idea of, you know, there's no two snowflakes that are alike. Right. Uh, I can't remember the, the person they referenced, but there was a, uh, famously a guy who took, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, photographs of snowflakes and of the, you know, countless thousands of pictures that he got of snowflakes, he never found two that were the same. Wilson Bentley in 1885. Right. And that's where that quote famously comes from, that there's no two snowflakes that are alike. So uh, that's what this is all developed on is, is just that idea and, uh, you know, uh, nature's creativity, I guess. And, uh, you know, letting kids play around with that. So snowflakeworkshop.com. All right. Check it out. 
And if you have a tech tip that you'd like to give me so that I can then give back to you, the place to do that is elementop.com. That's our, our home-based website. Uh, you've got forums there. You've got a contact us button. You've got a call us uh, widget that will actually call you. Um, and you can do that there. Or you can find us on Twitter or Facebook, tweet me or face me. Um, <laughs> but I don't know how that goes, but uh, I, I follow both of those streams uh, fairly regularly, so you can t- contact me there or just give us a call at 559-IAMOPIE. Or if you want to uh, do all of those things all in one shot and you happen to have an Android device, you can check out our app in the market. The, uh, just search for Element Opie, and um, it's got all our feeds, all our shows, and contact and all that stuff built into one little app. And hopefully by sometime next June, the iPhone app will be uh, ready and, and in the store. I think that uh, part of the problem there might be the whole, you know, Steve Jobs passing thing. They're trying to figure out a way to link that up to heaven and where he can. So he can approve it. Yeah. So he can approve your app. (laughs) They just haven't quite figured all that out yet. Yeah. I I think it's nice that you give him credit for being in heaven. Well, (laughs) I'm sure he was a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And on that note, Sean, what kind of show was this? This was a great show. Oh, it's perfect that you broke up just as you said that. That's that's perfect. So, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so having said that, I will simply say, this is Mark saying Merry Christmas. And Sean saying Merry Christmas.